Thank you so much. Thank you. Why don't we put our hands together for everybody in Leicester and those online as well. Let's welcome them. Great to be sharing with you as we continue this series looking at what it means to be radical partners. Now, I wonder if you can think back to school when you had sports day. Anybody remember sports day at the end of the year? Maybe you remember it with uh, good memories, maybe with uh, not so good memories. But uh, I remember actually uh, year seven, eight time, uh, we had a sports day where the classes in the year would compete against each other for a big trophy. And uh, for some reason, I was made the class captain for us, even though I was terrible at track and field. Um, Much like most of the other guys in my class, we kind of like threw javelins, not in the field, but at each other kind of thing. It was that kind of class, you know. Uh, The girls were amazing. Uh, They were like the best in the year. And I remember uh, our teacher, Mr. Bartlett, coming to us, uh, giving us a bit of a a pep talk before the big day, saying this. He said, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. Uh, He didn't actually say that. He was a French teacher. He couldn't care less. Um, I think he actually said to us, um, you know, just don't get in trouble, have fun. And uh, yeah, anyway, but uh, bless him. I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Mr. Bartlett because I was bad at French. But um, it ended on love, thankfully, because we won uh, the cup. And uh, somewhere out there, Mr. Bartlett, if you're watching this, uh, I'd like to see a photo of me and him embracing as I'm holding this cup. Um, So we had an amazing uh, time. And I remember it being an amazing day, really, for us as a class because we were there kind of cheering each other on because we all knew that in the various kind of sporting competitions we had a part to play even though the girls basically won it for us we all had a part to play in uh, receiving this prize now in a similar way Paul writing to the church in Philippi as we come to this section we see how he's writing to them and he describes it in this way he says that you all we all can receive the ultimate prize the ultimate prize in life which is this, to know Jesus, to experience the reality of his presence at work in our lives, and to know the eternal hope, the eternal life that we can receive in him. And Paul is saying, look church, you together as radical partners, you get to partner together to help each other keep your eyes on the prize so that you might grow in your relationship with Jesus and experience his power, his life-transforming power at work in your lives. You see, because of what Jesus has done through his life, his death and his resurrection, he's made a way for all of us to receive life in all of its fullness, eternal life, and not just a ticket to heaven, but heaven on earth right now, you know, to experience his love, his joy, his peace. His purposes for our life, both individually but together as a church family. And Paul is saying, this church, this is the ultimate prize. You know, over the last 35 years for us as a church family, I know many of us have been along the journey at various points. And we can all say that we've experienced heaven on earth. But you know, the great news from the passage we're looking at today is that the truth is that in Jesus, our best days aren't behind us but they're ahead of us, amen? And as we press on to take hold of more of what he has for us, the promise of God is that we would receive more of him, more of his life, more of his goodness, more of his healing, more of his grace, more of his power at work in our lives, living all the while in the light of this glorious, eternal future that we have in him. So you know, wherever you're at in your journey of faith, wherever you're at in your journey with this church, I want to encourage you today, I believe it's a significant day for us, 
Because as we play our part in partnering together to help one another keep our eyes on the prize, the promise is that we might truly live lives of excitement and anticipation, not looking back and being held back by the past, being fulfilled in the present, and looking ahead with fresh faith and expectancy, knowing that in Jesus the best truly is yet to come. Amen? And so I believe that as today we look at this passage, there are two kind of key ways in which we together as a church can keep our eyes on the prize in order that we might know and experience more of Jesus. And so the first way is this. If we are to keep our eyes on the prize, we need to make Jesus our one desire. Make Jesus our one desire. Paul begins this passage by saying this. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on towards the goal. Paul is saying here, Jesus, yes, has saved me, but I haven't yet already arrived at my goal. I haven't obtained all of this. What is, what is he talking about here? What is this goal? Well, in the verses we saw last week, immediately preceding these, Paul talks about, essentially sums up by saying, my one thing in life, my one desire, is to know Jesus, is to know him and essentially to become more like him. That's the goal for each and every one of us, wherever we're at, to grow in our relationship with Jesus, our knowledge, our experience, our understanding of him. We're all still on a journey. We haven't yet arrived at our goal. And notice the way in which Paul describes this, he says, I take hold of Jesus because he's already taken hold of me. I think it's really important for us, even as Christians, to get a hold of this truth, because the truth is that, you know, Christ hasn't taken hold of me because I've taken hold of him. It's the other way around. You know, the Christian life doesn't start with you, it starts upon you. <laughs> you don't just take up Jesus as one of many options, that he takes you up. And Paul is saying, be, be, be mindful of this, because in this world, every other kind of religion and philosophy and worldview, it's basically, look, if you want enrichment, if you want peace, if you want joy, well then, you need to take hold of some things, do X, Y, and Z, and then you will get what you want. And Paul is saying, no, 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 <laughs> it's the other way around with Jesus. I want to apprehend him, I want him, because he's already apprehended me. And the truth is that for each and every one of us, Paul is saying, look, when you see what Jesus has already done for you, no matter where you're at watching this or here in the room, Jesus has died for you on the cross. He loves you with an everlasting, unconditional love. In him, we might know what it means to live, to know why we're here and what we're, what we're living for, where we're going, to know that we can be forgiven and set free, to know the joy and peace that we can have in him, peace in the midst of the storms, joy no matter what circumstances we're going through. We can experience life in all of its fullness now and forevermore because of Jesus, because of what he's already done for us. Isn't that amazing? And Paul is saying, look, when you see what God has already done for you, you can't help but make him your one desire. And that is why he goes on and says this. Yeah, come on, let's give God praise for what he's already done for us. But one thing I do, one thing, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead. The picture here is of an athlete straining towards the finish line with every fiber of his being, every muscle going flat out to the finish. Because they know what, what it is in Christ to live, what is ahead of them. 
It means they know they can be free from the past, truly not looking back. You know, anybody who's ran a race, you know, uh, on track and field, you know, you, you, the key is not to look behind you. You look behind you, it gets in all kinds of trouble, doesn't it? But no, Paul is saying, I'm free not to be held back by the past. I'm free to look ahead because I know what I'm pressing on towards. And that is why um, Nicky Gumbel in his, in his commentary puts it this way. He says, we cannot live on past successes or rest on former laurels. Nor should we be bogged down by past failures, despair over past sins, or bitterness over past wrongs done to us. We're not to dwell on the past. Isn't that incredible? You know, we can reminisce, we can remember good times, but we're not to dwell, we're not to live there and stay there. It's what it means to be radical. It's about gathering up our whole selves, not just part of our lives, but every part of our life, reorientating it around Jesus making him our goal, making him, as, as we've described in this, in this letter, Paul's magnificent obsession with Jesus. He just wanted more of him to press on for more of him because he is our goal. He is our everything. As Paul goes on to say, he is our prize. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our prize, to know him, to experience him. Jesus himself said, you know, eternal life, life in all of its fullness is what is to know me. That's how he describes it in John 17. And so wherever we're at today, you know, can I encourage you? I've been challenging myself even with this question. If someone were to look at my life, would it be obvious that Jesus was my one desire? You know, maybe for some of us, it might feel like we've been struggling. It might be a lethargy that's set in. We might even be held back by the past, what you know, wrongs that have happened to us or we've done, or even just resting on formal laurels, you know, remembering the good old times and being held back by that and not pressing on, even maybe self-image preventing us from making Jesus our one desire. But you know, wherever we're at, even if you're hearing this for the very first time here today, I want to encourage you, see what he's already done for you. See how he's already taking a hold of you. The evidence that, you know, that you're, you're here, right, like listening to this talk or here in the room, could be, even be evidence that God has already taken a hold of you. So take a hold of him in return. Lay hold of him, make him your one desire. And so this might mean that we have to say yes to some things and say no to other things as well. It might mean that we change the way in which we live. It might mean that we uh, you know, enact some discipline in our lives. But you know, any worthy pursuit involves discipline, doesn't it? You know, if you're going to run a race, it involves discipline. But as Paul says time and time again in this letter, you know, we're not to do this journey on our own. The great news is we're not to do this on our own. We know that we have God with us by his spirit, at work within us, but also as Paul describes, we're to go on this journey together as well. He goes on to say this, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us for a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul's encouraging us to look at his example. And as I shared a couple of weeks ago, there's other examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus, People who fix their gaze on Jesus, make him their one desire, and live outwardly towards others as well. Paul is saying part of the way in which we help keep our eyes on the prize is to look towards others, mature men and women of faith, to get in someone else's slipstream, so to speak. You know, anybody else watch like F1 or cycling, and you see like racers get right up behind one another, don't they? 
And they do this because the person in front is taking that resistance, aren't they? So that the person behind can go further and faster than if they were racing on their own. In the same way, Paul is saying that we might, part of the way in which we keep our eyes on the prize and lay hold of Jesus is to get in someone else's slipstream, to get around other brothers and sisters, mature men and women in the faith. And as you do, you'll experience more of God. You'll go further and faster than if you're going on your own. You know, some of us might even be experiencing resistance right now. And the reason why might be because we're trying to do it on our own. Well, so part of it is getting practical, you know, getting alongside others on Sundays and making, you know, life groups a priority. Get alongside others in serving, standing shoulder to shoulder, going on the journey together. You know, we've got three days of prayer and fasting coming up. What a great opportunity, not just to pray and fast on our own, but with other people, to pray with others. Time and time again, I can't tell you how, when I've been in a huddle or been around other men and women of faith, I've come away encouraged and inspired, wanting to know more of Jesus. I've I've grown in my understanding of Jesus just by being around these people. Can I encourage you? This is what radical partnership is about. Getting together with others. Being another slipstream and you'll go further. So come on church, let's keep our eyes on the prize by making Jesus our one desire. The second way is by doing this, to live in the light of our glorious destiny. Live in the light of our glorious destiny. You know, we're all going somewhere. We all have a destiny, don't we? And Paul puts it very, um, in a sobering kind of way, of what a destiny looks like without Jesus. He puts it this way, he says, for as, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Wow, Paul here is showing us They're contrasting what a life looks like with Jesus and what a life looks like without Jesus. In other words, going your own kind of self-centered way. And notice how he describes it. He says it's with a mindset on earthly things. In other words, it's the opposite of living in the light of eternity, of looking ahead to your future. It's a mind locked in on the here and now. It's, if you like, looking to creation in order to get what you can only get from your creator. There's nothing wrong with the things of the world. You know, they're they're good things for us to enjoy. But the problems come when we make them the ultimate thing. And when we look at our jobs, our our money, our relationships, our acclaim, achievements, we look to those things to truly give us satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life. And Paul is saying, look, they, they won't. They'll never truly fulfill the human heart. It's like drinking salt water. And it'll only lead to destruction. You see, if Jesus is the only way of salvation, well then logically it follows and every other path leads to destruction. And Paul is saying here, you know, he's writing this letter with tears in his eyes. Not for himself, but for those of whom he speaks. That's how serious this is. And so in light of what Paul is saying here, can I implore every single one of us, can I encourage us to look up Lift up your gaze, maybe you've been locked in to the things of the world. Lift up your gaze, see where you're going and choose in Jesus the path of life. Allow him to shape your present today. You know, imagine what it might look like even for us as Christians. Sometimes we can be drawn into the things of the world and truly place our hope and our trust 
in our circumstances, our situations, and we kind of get a bit bogged down. Can I encourage you, lift up your gaze. It will change the way in which you live. It will free you in the way in which you handle your money, in the way in which you handle your relationships, your prayer life. You know, your purposes in life, it'll all be renewed and fulfilled as you lift up your gaze and you see what a glorious future we have and a destiny we have in Jesus. Because this is how Paul describes it. He says, our citizenship is in heaven in Christ and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious Body. Paul here uses this amazing phrase, uh, citizens of heaven. He does so purposefully because he's writing to the church in Philippi, and Philippi was a Roman colony. Even though it was 800 miles away from Rome, the eternal city that is known because of its power, its wealth, its status, um, those people living there could live as Roman citizens. They could enjoy the, the, the protection, the privileges, the rights of a Roman citizen as if they were living in Rome so long as they stayed loyal to Caesar who had titles such as Lord and Saviour. And Paul is saying here, look, you think this citizenship, you know, of being a Roman citizen is, is powerful. Let me tell you, it's nothing compared to the citizenship we have in Jesus. And he would know because he was a Roman citizen. And he says this, look, we're citizens of heaven not of some place like out there that we'll one day get to go to. No, citizens of heaven now. We're a colony of heaven on earth here, experiencing the kingdom of God in and through our lives, heaven expanding on earth right now, all the while eagerly awaiting the return of the true Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For as he does, he will fulfill God's ultimate plans and purposes for a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation, where heaven and earth will come together in one final act of restoration and redemption. And this is a future, Paul is saying, that we have in Christ. And look at um, how we, it's described in Revelation. We know the end of the story in the Bible. These are the words in Revelation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This will be his people they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This means that in Jesus, yes, our best days are ahead of us. Our best days are ahead of us. And notice how Jesus says, I'm making everything, I'm making all things new. Notice he doesn't say, I'm making all new things, like heaven is some unknown new thing that we're going to experience, you know, floating around in the clouds. No, I'm making everything here, now, new. I'm going to restore everything, including, as Paul describes, our lowly bodies. They'll be transformed to be like his glorious resurrected body. You know, for some of us, we might be acutely aware that our bodies are deteriorating. And you know, we can pray, can't we, for heaven now. We can pray for healing now, certainly, and we'll go for that, and we want more of that. But isn't it good to know that one day we will experience resurrected bodies? <laughs> we will know what it means to have a body like Jesus' glorious resurrected body, a body that will never decay, will never perish, and will live in paradise with him forevermore. Isn't that good to know? You know, I'm aware of this even in my own life, and I've shared previously about 
my own challenges with health battles, having had heart surgery a number of times, and one time in particular being in hospital for nine weeks, at the end of which I had to have this quite complex, uh, serious heart operation. And I remember over those nine weeks in hospital, often Chrissy, my wife and I, would go to the car park to pray in the car. We'd put on some worship and just pray together. And uh, I remember a couple of days before the procedure having a meeting with the doctors. And uh, they, of course, go through you know, the risks of the procedure and you have to sign a form, etc. And there it is in black and white. You know, those of you who've been through this will know. Uh, and I know they have to take precautions, rightly so, but it does hit you particularly when it's a high-risk surgery. You see things like 30% chance of mortality. If you get through that, then there's a risk of brain hemorrhage or stroke, etc. Possibly being in intensive care for weeks or months even, and Chrissy being given all kinds of scenarios, most of them pretty bad. And it kind of shell-shocked us, if I'm honest. And we went away from that meeting, and I thought, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's just go to the car, <laughs> and let's pray, and let's worship together. So we sat in the car, and we put on some worship music. And as soon as we started to sing together, the presence of God came upon us. And we started to laugh. Sounds quite bizarre, but we just started to laugh. Not, not in a weird way, trying to like, distract ourselves from what we were going through. But in the midst of what we were going through, we experienced a deep joy that came upon us. And we had actually tears, not of, not of despair, but tears of joy. We were looking at each other, laughing, just laughing and laughing. Never laughed like that in my whole life. And I can honestly say, bizarrely, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. Because the eternal life of Jesus broke into that moment. And I, the best way I can describe it, yeah. It's if like you've ever been in a plane and you, you take off during a storm, and it's all cloudy and dark, and then you get through the clouds, and suddenly the sun bursts forth, and you just see this blue sky. It was kind of like that. In the midst of the storm, God just took us above and said, look, look at where your future is. Look at where your destiny is. Look at the eternal hope that you have in me. And both of us just started to laugh. Because we knew that no matter what happened, everything was going to be okay. You know, you don't have to have dramatic moments like these to experience the eternal. It can just happen by you opening up the Bible and saying, God, would you draw near to me? And he will. Let's believe that over these three days of prayer and fasting, we're going to taste the eternal life more so of Jesus. We're going to experience heaven more on earth. Amen? But you know, because we experienced that, it enabled us in that moment to stand firm in the present. And that's what I want to end on today. As we make the turn into chapter 4, the last chapter of this wonderful letter, we see how Paul starts by saying this, Therefore, in light of this church, my brothers and sisters, you whom I long, love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You see, because of the promise of resurrection, it meant that the Philippians could stand firm. You know, they were experiencing hardship, but they could stand firm in the present. No matter what situation or circumstance you might be going through right now, in Jesus you can stand firm because you're standing firm, not in yourself, you're standing firm in the Lord. And I love how Paul again goes back to the fact that we're to do this together. He describes the church as his joy and as his crown. What a wonderful description that is. And that word for crown there is a, is a Greek word that describes not a crown of nobility, you know, for kings and queens. It's actually a crown of achievement. It's a crown of accomplishment for running a race well. You know, the Philippians, as they stood firm in the Lord, 
Uh, they were a crown. They were Paul's trophy, so to speak. Isn't that a wonderful picture for what radical partnership is, what love is amongst the church family? Well, may we, Kingsgate, may we be a joy and a crown to one another as we go on the journey together. May we keep our eyes on the prize church together. I believe this is a significant day for many of us as we make a step forward and say, I'm going to step up, I'm going to step in, I'm going to partner together and help each other, including myself, keep my eyes on the prize to make Jesus my one thing, not looking back but pressing on ahead and all the while living in the light of this glorious destiny that we have in him, knowing what it means to look up with faith and expectancy, knowing the best is yet to come and because of that we can stand firm in the present, all the while eagerly awaiting his return. Amen? Well let's respond together now. We're going to worship together in a moment. I'd like to pray for us, those in Leicester and those online as well. Would you stand with me as I just pray for us as I bring this to a close? And I'd like just to pray for a couple of groups of people here. Firstly, those of you who might be here or you're watching this or you're in Leicester and you would say actually that you feel quite far from Jesus right now. Maybe it's the first time you've actually heard anything like this. I want to say you're so welcome here today. I'm so glad that you're here. (laughs) What a privilege it is to be together in the presence of God. And I believe that even right now, for many of us, you're sensing God's presence at work in your life. You're sensing Him taking a hold of you. (laughs) So why don't we just take a hold of Him? Maybe it might be for the first time you're saying, God, would you come into my life? might even be for the first time in a long time, might even be like you just felt like you've drifted and you're being a bit too laid back about your journey of faith. But today you're wanting to press on and you're wanting to take hold of him. Well, all you need to do is simply pray a a simple prayer. I'll lead us in it. And church, I'd like us all to join in this together. But just so nobody feels exposed in any way, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, shall we? And I want to lead us in this prayer together. Let's all pray this out. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you love me. Lord, I'm sorry for going my own way. But today I choose to follow you. I choose the path of life. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Set me free. And from this day on, I look forward with fresh faith, knowing the best is yet to come because of you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer and it really meant something for you, then we'd love to stand with you. There'll be uh, some directions at the end of the service just for us to help you take those next steps, really, in your journey of faith. But as we bring this to a close, I'd like just to pray for all of us and I had a picture if you like as I was praying and preparing for today and it was of us standing together much like what we're doing in this room and I'm sure yeah as we're in Leicester and online as well standing up if you are online as well why don't you stand up right now and join in in this moment just as we're standing together the sense of us standing shoulder to shoulder uh, in rows and all moving forward together and it was really a sense of us doing so with shoulders back and heads held high. So I believe maybe for some of us, it it might just feel like life's 
been tough, life's been hard, and you're kind of just ambling through almost like a bit like this, and you feel like you're on your own. But God is calling us today to no, no, put your shoulders back, <laughs> lift up your gaze, look to your left and your right, look ahead, there's people, brothers and sisters around you. And we're to go on this journey together. Others in front, you're going in their slipstream. You're going to go further and, and faster than you've ever gone before. We're going to experience more of Jesus. Even for those of you here and you think, well, everything's going well. But you know, there's more for you. There's more that God's got for you. And as we partner together as radical partners, standing shoulder to shoulder, going on the journey, the promise of God is that we're going to encounter more of Him, more of heaven on earth. And all the while with our heads held high, knowing we've got a a glorious eternal destiny to come in here. So why don't we just put out our hands as a way of just responding to the Lord today, saying, God, I want more of you. So Lord Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you in light of all that you've done for us. I want to just thank you for your love, for every single person in Leicester, online, in the room here, that you love us with an extravagant love. Lord, even right now, I pray by your spirit, would you come, would you fill our hearts afresh? with your presence. And in this moment right now, we together as a church family, we make it our desire, we make it our one thing to say yes to you in every area of our lives. We want to make you our one desire. Lord, we want to keep our eyes on the prize that is you, Jesus, and make you our one thing. Lord, Lord would you forgive us for, for areas maybe where we've been too laid back or maybe we've just a bit too laissez-faire or we haven't really considered you or prayed about certain things. Lord, even right now in this moment, why don't we just make a decision? Jesus, you can have everything. You are my one thing, my one desire. I wanna press on for more of you. And even in this moment, I pray that you'd be breaking off things that are holding us back. Maybe for some of us, it might be that we We've been thinking about the good old days too much. And God's saying, no, I've got more for you. Look ahead. For others, it might be that we're being held back by other things. God is breaking chains right now so that we can press on for more of Him. And as we lift up our gaze together as a church family, let's lift up our hands right now, church. We're going to worship to you. Let's lift up our hands in light of this glorious destiny we have. We're saying, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. We want eternity to come even right now in this room online and in Leicester. We want more of your presence, more of your goodness, more of your healing, more of your love. Lord, we want eternity now. Would we experience something of heaven right now as we worship you and as we stand firm in you? Let's stand firm, church, as we go on the journey together. Come on, let's give our God a clap of praise for all that he's going to do.